been going to this camp um, for years, but this is the first summer that I was able to experience this camp twice in the summer. And I did that because I just really liked going to camp. Um, I really wanted to do that. And I had a few friends that went to this week at camp, so I chose this one in particular. And um, being in high school, you know, you just kind of, you really want to be in the know. You've got to get the scoop on everything that goes on. And the way we had our camp set up, I don't know how our camps are set up here because I haven't gone to them yet. Um, but ours, the way it was set up was... A director had each week, a different director had each week, and obviously with a different director, there was a different atmosphere, there was different people, and that created a different atmosphere. So I just wanted the scoop, right? So I was asking my friends, I was like, hey, what do I need to know going into this week? And you know, if you ask a bunch of guys um, what um, they need to tell you, um, they're going to mention the first thing about something about the girls, right? So I was learning a little bit about the girls at that week at camp, and one girl in particular, her name was Annie. And Annie, they told me, was the girl that every guy wanted to ask out to the banquet. The banquet was this um, event that was at the end of the week. It was all fancy. Um, and by fancy, I mean like they decorated the dining hall and served Salisbury steak. Um, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but it was fancy by camp standards. And so we went to that and we were expected, like all the guys were kind of expected to bring a date. And so Annie was the girl that every guy wanted. Well, the first day or two, it was early in the week, on one of the first days, I caught wind of a rumor that Annie was actually wanting me to ask her to the banquet. Well, I mean, I felt honored, right? Because prior to that week, I had heard that that was the girl that every guy wanted. So I, I started talking to her, and we hit it off pretty good. And I asked her to the banquet, and she said yes. And I got to tell you, it was probably one of the worst dates that I've ever had. It didn't... I. I didn't, and she's probably never going to watch this, right? So, like, I don't, I don't have to be concerned. Um, but she was not a good date. So that was not the moral of the story, though. The moral of the story is that I was pursued, and being pursued feels really good by anyone, right? So I was being pursued, and that felt good. And what I'm going to talk about today is how God is in constant pursuit of us. And that fact, um, just like any other, whenever anybody else is pursuing us, it can really inflate us, right? It can make us feel good about ourselves. It can raise our self-esteem. And hopefully by the end of this um, sermon, you'll, you'll be able to kind of see that. You'll be able to feel that, that God is pursuing you. And that should uh, make you feel pretty good. And it should push you um, in further relationship with him. So whenever I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on this morning, I was trying to think of my life transition period between high school and college. I was trying to figure out what would I have needed to hear the most whenever I was in that transition period. And what I landed on, obviously, was that God is in constant pursuit of me. That was a healing message that I just really needed to hear. And it's, I think it's because like, you get in that phase of life and there is a newfound independence. Um, you have independence now, and that independence spurs on growth. And so you grow in several different ways. One like smaller way that I was able to grow is one Sunday I woke up because my roommate came in the room and you know, you're like all foggy when you wake up and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Because I knew it was Sunday, like I knew we should both be waking up together and leaving to go to church. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I just got back from church, like all nonchalant. And I was like, what? Like I looked at the clock and it's 12 p.m. I don't know what possessed me to sleep in until 12 p.m. I don't normally do that sort of thing, but I, I don't know. Maybe I stayed up late the night before. I don't really know what happened. But it's 12 p.m., and I missed church. I just slept through it. And I said, and we went to the same church. This is the kicker of the whole story. Like, all that year, we had been going to the same church every week. I don't know why he would think that I would want to sleep through. I, so I asked him. I said, why didn't you wake me up? Just, like, nudge me a little bit. Just say, hey, are you going to church this morning? And his response was this. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was your mom. I'm like, 
didn't need you to be my mom. Like, that's not what I, so I'm like arguing with him, right? I'm like, come on. Like, it's just nudge me a little bit. Wake me up. That's fine. He refused to do it. All four years, we were roommates. He refused to ever wake me up. He was like, I'm not going to baby you. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I just felt a little offended by that. That's all. And so lesson learned, right? My mom's not going to wake me up for church anymore. And also maybe what I gained from that is that if I stay up late the night before and I know that I have to get up for something, maybe I set two or three alarms instead of one because maybe I'll just turn one off and not wake up, right? So you learn little things like that. But more importantly and more like um, significantly in my time in college, the way I grew was in um, spiritually and intellectually, I grew to an extreme amount. Like who I was freshman year is not who I am sitting before you right now. And it took a couple of years for that to build up. Like I had to build up my foundation. There was a lot of baggage that I, that I had from my past that I kind of had to release before I was really able to build that foundation and grow. So it took some time. But we're in junior year now, halfway through. It's winter break. We're about to go into the spring semester. I'm like a week away from leaving to go back to school. I'm laying in bed and I just felt this... I just needed to pray because I was just in this state of confusion because I wasn't sure I knew what was true and what wasn't anymore. I wasn't sure of anything regarding my faith. I felt kind of lost there. I felt lost intellectually in every possible way, mainly like politically. I was like, I don't know what to believe. Like, I just don't know anything. And so I'm tired of acting as though I do and not thinking that I know what I'm talking about bothered me because all of my friends... They seemed like they knew what was up, right? They were saying that like, hey, like, yeah, I know everything. And like, you know how people are. They just kind of say like, yeah, this is the truth. And I didn't feel like I could be sure about anything. And so I prayed to God. I got down. It was a serious prayer because I got down on my knees and I was on my bedside and I was just praying to God. I said, God, if you would just grant me wisdom. I need wisdom right here, right now to just figure this out because I'm stressed, because I don't feel like I know anything right now. And I need your wisdom to come over me. And Man, like, the 2020, that was at the very beginning of the year, and 2020 was just a rough year for me in that stuff, because, like, yeah, like, there was, like, so much stuff that I needed to learn, and every time you learn something, every time, like, you get, I had questions, and any time I would answer one question, it was like it led to five other questions, like, so the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, that's what happened to me, I realized, like, it was like I was in this never-ending question series in my life. Like everything was in question. Nothing was real. Nothing had any truth to it. I could never figure it out if there was. And so I was frustrated and that weight um, of that knowledge for me was just stressful and I was feeling so burdened by it. And so we're continuing out through the year and we're in the fall semester. And I think um, what pushed me is I took this class, it's called Survey of the New Testament. And We were supposed to read the entire New Testament in that semester, and that sounds like, wow, you did that. It's really not. The New Testament is not that long, and so it was actually pretty easy. It was like a few chapters a day, right? So we read through the New Testament, and I was able to consistently be in the Word of God, and that pushed me to email that professor because I was in the library, and I was like, I'm just like, I'm reading all this, but I don't know anything, and so it pushed me to email that professor. I said, hey, I was in the library one night, just freaking out just under the weight of everything I don't know. I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. And so I just was like, okay, hey, I just need to meet with you in your office and go over some of these questions because I just, I don't, I need some answers. I need to figure this out. And he never gave me any answers. Instead, what he did was he just let me know that it's okay. 
It's okay to be in that state of questioning. It's okay to not know um, right now. It's okay to just, just be on the journey, is kind of what he was telling me. Just be on the journey, and that's okay. Um, that's like a good place to be. What's not a good place to be is assuming you know everything, right? So it's a good thing that you're questioning. So it made me feel a lot better, and I felt like there was some peace that could be found there. But what happened was prior to all of that, like going through 2020, that was in fall 2020 when that meeting happened, but what was happening before then is in my head, at least, I was separating myself in relationship with God. Because, and this is just me looking back now, but um, what I think I was doing is I was like kind of, if God is right here, I was like walking this direction because I thought if I could walk away from God, like all of my questions were regarding my faith. And so if I could just leave, go this direction, and not even look at it, then I could just enjoy my time. Maybe I could just hang out with friends and not have to get in deep discussion like all the time. But I was just like, my head was always there because I was wanting to be in relationship with God. So my head was always in like some deep place that like nobody wants to be around that person, right? It's like, oh my gosh, can you just enjoy the moment? I couldn't, and but I wanted to. And so like, I was just kind of walking this direction, trying to just live in the moment and just not worry about that anymore. And so I severed my connection with God in my head anyway. And so I had had enough of that, and that meeting didn't really fix that connection. But one night I was in my dorm, and I was laying down, and I was really bored. And I don't do well bored. I need something to do. And so I just got up, and you know, like I'll, like, I'll pace a room before I just sit there and do nothing. Like, I've got to, I just have a lot of energy, and I need to get it out, right? So I was just, like, pacing my room, and I was like, I had to do something. So I threw on some earbuds. I put in some, like, peaceful something music, and it was instrumental, and it was nice to pray to. I decided that I needed to pray, and so I went for a walk. It was nighttime, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to God, and I'm just going, God, I really want to be in relationship with you. I'm tired of not being in relationship with you. Like, I want this, and so if you would give me this, like, for 15 minutes, I'm praying that prayer. For 15 minutes, and I felt like, you know, that's a lot. Like, I'm asking God, like, God, I went for a walk for you in my head, you know? Like, I'm thinking, man, what more do you want? Like, I'm, I'm specifically designating this time as your time so that we can reconnect. And you know what? That 15 minutes, I didn't feel his presence at all. And that hurt me. I was frustrated at that. That I, I spent this time, and like, now, you know, it looks back and it looks silly. But to me, in the moment, I spent that time specifically for him. And he wasn't there. And so I made my way to the uh, baseball fields, and I laid on a bleacher. And... I just started yelling at him because I was frustrated. And so how am I going to let out that frustration? Well, I'm going to yell at him. So I was yelling at him, and I said, hey, God, if you would just manifest yourself physically just right in front of me, and you tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't know why you don't just show yourself. Why are you always hiding? Why can't I ever see you? If you, would, you know, God, that if I saw you and you told me what to do, I would do it because you know my heart. I feel like I know my heart. Just tell me. And so I finally let it out. I felt like maybe in that first half of the prayer, I was talking more about myself and I was trying to, I was just more sorry that I felt that way. And that's a good place to start. But then I needed to let out my frustration that I didn't feel. I needed to let out my emotion, like what I was feeling really at my core internally. I needed to let that out. And then what happened is not that he manifested himself physically, which would have been incredible. I still wish that he would do that every single day. It would make my life way easier. But what he did do is he gave me this overwhelming amount of peace. So I'm laying there. And I'm just in tears because finally, it's at the end of this fall semester, I'd been going through that whole year, and finally, he was there. I could feel him. 
and I had a peace that I can't even explain to you with words. I think that's the point of it. And so I realize now, I'm able to look back at that moment now, and I see that God never really left me that entire year, because what needed to happen is I needed to go through that period in my life. I needed that to happen. I needed me to hurt in 2020 so that I could go through the change that I needed to go through. I hurt because change is uncomfortable. We know this. Anytime we're asked to change something about us, it's very uncomfortable and it might be painful. It was painful for me that entire year. So I'm going through that change and who I am now is not who I was because of that change. And who I am now is, man, like I, like there's, I, I see grace now. Like, and I just didn't see it like that before. I feel assurance of my salvation. I know that if I died today, if I died tomorrow, I'm going to heaven. There's so much comfort in that. 2020 needed to happen so I can stand before you today and say I'm comfortable with that idea. I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm just going to heaven. It's because that change happened. It was uncomfortable at first, but God stuck with me. And so now, hindsight's 2020, right? But looking back, I see that even though I was walking away, and here's really, really like the crux of the lesson. Like even though like I was like walking this direction and I felt like I was kind of walking away from God, what I realize now is that God had never left me. In fact, as I was walking this way, he was right behind me the whole time. All I needed to do was turn around. All I needed to do was just look back and see that he was right there and he's waiting on me. He's waiting on me to just grab his hand and walk back this way. That whole time he was with me, he was helping me. I was going through something I needed to go through so that I could be closer to him. All I needed to do was see him and I couldn't see him if I'm looking the other direction and I'm just focused on this, trying to get away from him. I have to be able to turn around and to look at him and walk with him the other way. So if you'll turn to Genesis chapter three and verse 15, it says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So listen, I know that like I could have chosen a better verse for this kind of lesson. I know that there are more obvious verses that say what I'm trying to say with this lesson, but I, I use this verse because I think it's so cool. This is the first prophecy of Jesus in, in the Bible, right? So this is before mankind even left the garden. And what he's saying to Satan is he's saying, yeah, you will strike, you will strike Jesus' heel, but Jesus is gonna bash your head in and I'm gonna bring humanity back into the garden back home. I think that's so cool to think about that before, yeah, like we sin, mankind sinned, the serpent tempted us, Satan tempted us into sin, and even though we sinned, God was already devising, before he kicked us out, he was already devising a plan to get us back there. And now we live in the state of yearning for home, right? Like we want to get back there, and we're on a journey to do it, and he's made the way through Jesus Christ, who was prophesied about here in Genesis chapter three and verse 15. So the next part of this lesson is something that I was told not to do in school. I was told not to do it by several people actually, but I'm gonna do it anyway, um, because I think it's gonna be totally worth it. And so there's like, I'm gonna read what it is. I'm just gonna read for like two or three minutes straight. And I know that it's tough to just sit, and this is why we were taught in school not to do this, because as an audience, it's kind of tough to just sit there and listen to somebody read and really absorb the story, right? And so I've made it as easy as possible for you. You're going to look up there, and you're going to see that there is an 80-point font that is very visible, and you can just read and you can follow along. And I wouldn't do this if it wasn't so worth it, um, but I think this is so worth it. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. 
Man, this is written for children, um, but I think it is just one of the most beautiful things that you could um, possibly, like, I mean, the way that this woman writes is so simple, and it, it showcases the love of God in the most simplistic way, and maybe it's like, almost it feels like this is how it's supposed to be. So anyway, okay, we'll read it. It says, usually, Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule. They had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him. And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever. Not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would have all been over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story in there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world perfect again. And one day, he would wipe every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would, all, would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you, and when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness and let you in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. So I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're in this state of depression, and it was all you could do just to wake yourself up this morning and to get yourself here. It took everything out of you just to do that. Maybe you feel anxious and like you're constantly concerned about what everybody around you is thinking about you or you're worried about your future or you're worried about something that you've done in the past and it just gives you anxiety just to think about that and you live in this constant state of anxiety. Maybe uh, you just feel ashamed over something that you are currently doing, over some sin that you're currently participating in and you just feel like you can't get out. Like you want to change, but you just don't know how. You don't know the direction that you need to take and you have that desire, but it doesn't seem like anything's working. Or maybe it's something that you've done in the past that you just can't let go of. So you feel ashamed of it, of something that you've done. I would point you, if any of those things are, are, are where you're at right now, I would point you to the case of Paul and David. Paul, if you look at him, like he had Christians murdered before God redeemed him and utilized him for the kingdom. 
Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, so he wrote 13 letters that we read from today um, that we use a lot, and it helps, God has guided Christians for 2,000 years in their Christian journey, right? His writings have helped in a, such a big way. And man, like, if there was ever a go-getter, it was Paul, wasn't it? Like, he's constantly walking everywhere, and he is giving the message to everybody who will hear no matter what happens to him. So he gets stoned, shipwrecked, et cetera, et cetera. He's going through all this stuff, and it's for the sake of the kingdom. And it was someone who, prior to this new life that he's now living in Christ, he was having Christians murdered. But more than Paul, I think David is a more powerful example, because if you look at David, he's on his palace balcony, right? And he's looking down, and he sees this woman, Bathsheba, who does have a husband named Uriah, who is bathing on the rooftop. And he decides that he is attracted to her, right? So what does he do? He brings her her up to the palace, has sex with her, and then she becomes pregnant. And so now David's freaking out, right? Because he's the king of Israel, and this woman's pregnant who has a husband. That would make me freak out a lot too, right? So he's just in this state, he's in this fanatic state, and now he has three, he devises three different plans, one after another as they don't work. So plan A, here's plan A. Uriah is at war at the moment for Israel for the sake of God and David. He loves David, he loves God, and he loves the kingdom of Israel, and he's fighting for it. And so he comes, Uriah is sent back to the kingdom of Israel by David so that that way he could have, he, what does a man want to do whenever he comes back from war? This is David's mindset, right? What's a man? going to do. He's going to go home and he's going to sleep with his wife. And so David is devising that plan. But what does Uriah say? Here's Uriah's response. Uriah says, no, because the ark of the covenant and Israel and the people that are I'm fighting alongside are on the battlefield right now, sleeping in tents. I will not go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife. That's second Samuel 11. That's what he says. Because he, he means this, right? Like he's so um, intent on keeping this covenant that he has made with himself um, to just not enjoy his time back because he's ready to get back out there on the battlefield with the people who are fighting. And so David decides that he would devise another plan. So here's plan B. Plan B is um, he gets Uriah drunk. He invites Uriah over to the palace, gets Uriah drunk, and assumes, uh, rightfully I think, that he would be in a weakened mindset. And in that weakened mindset, he would give in and he would go home with Bathsheba. Um, But he doesn't. Instead, he sleeps out. The first night, he slept on the porch of the palace. (laughs) And the second night, he's sleeping in a cot with all the people who he had dinner with. And so he's sleeping in a cot. He doesn't go home. So what's plan C? Plan C is bound to work. Um, Plan C is kill Uriah. That's plan C. And so what does he do? He, he sends Uriah back out to the battlefield, says, you're going to go to the front lines. And then he sends orders to Joab, um, the commander or something. And Joab calls all the people back except Uriah. Uriah dies on the front line because David had sent that order. So David got a woman pregnant that wasn't his own and then has her husband killed. Yet, Scripture still tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. So listen, like I say that to say, like I, I don't know, like maybe you're in this life transition period like some of the teens are. We all go through different life transitions at different times. They're in one in particular. And what can happen in those moments is that we kind of like lose our place we lo- because we don't know where we're at anymore. So like freshman year of college, right? I, what, do you, what is everybody doing? Trying to sort out where am I placed here? Like how do, how do I live uh, my life here? How, what is that going to look like? Right? And so it can be very difficult. And what happens sometimes is that sometimes they lose their way and they leave the faith. 
right? That can easily happen. We need to face reality that that's something that happens pretty often. Um, But we pray that it doesn't. But even if they do stay in faith, what happened to me was that I was losing my relationship with God, walking in the other direction, right? So like all these things can happen. And no matter where you are right now, I mean, I think the message of Paul and the message of David rings so loudly to say it doesn't matter where you are because you can still be redeemed by God. And so if you look at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verses 37 through 39, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And if you just take a second, like, I don't even know. And you could try and figure out what that means, to be more than conquerors. I don't. I have no clue what it means. But it sounds really cool to be more than a conqueror. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the message. Is that no matter where you are right now, no matter where you've been before, no matter what's happening around you, no matter the things that you're seeing, that you're witnessing amongst your friends, no matter what's happening with your family right now, no matter what's happening with a government that's stressing you out right now, no matter what happens ever or ever has happened or ever will happen is going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. There's so much peace to be found just in that idea. I mean, look at, we just celebrated Easter, right? And so we are celebrating an Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is, is interesting regarding this point because the women are at the tomb, the Marys and some other women are at the tomb, and they see that the tomb is empty. So they run and they go tell the apostles that the tomb is empty, and they don't believe it, right? So you wonder, like, this is, I heard somebody say this. I was looking for it in scripture. I thought for sure it was. I don't think it is. But I think it's a reasonable um, thing to think that the apostles are maybe like after Jesus died wondering, was this really the son of God? I think it's reasonable to think that they would think that. This person who they trusted that, that had said he was going to um, bring his kingdom to earth, which they didn't really understand yet at this point, he's dead. What kingdom is he going to be bringing Maybe something that's running through their heads, right? So Peter it runs to the tomb. Peter runs to the tomb. He has to see this for himself. He doesn't, it doesn't say that he believed them, but he wants to go and see for himself. So he runs to the tomb, and he sees that the tomb is empty. And I wonder, like, in that moment, if they remembered something that they read, I think I didn't look this up, maybe in Deuteronomy. It's repeated in Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 through 6, or at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6, it says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the promise that we have. And I wonder if they remembered that. I wonder if they remembered that. Jesus resurrects, and all of a sudden, yeah, he will never leave me nor forsake me. This is the God that I get to serve. A God that is in constant pursuit of me. When all hope seems lost, it's not. It's not. We serve a God who is in constant pursuit of us every single day no matter where we are. And so here you are today in the right spot, in a chair, in an auditorium, in a church, singing praises of God, hearing the word of God preached to you, hearing scripture being read aloud. You are in, this is step one, right? So no matter, this is visitors, this is longtime members, this is everybody. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, you are in step one right now to start. If you're looking this direction, if you're looking away from God, you are, in the, you are setting yourself up right now for success in that journey to turn around, 
just turn around and then allow God to walk with you back the other direction. It's, it, we don't even need to rely on our own strength. I, it's like we convince ourselves that that's necessary, that we need to be strong enough. No, you absolutely don't. And here's this little secret. You aren't. You aren't strong enough. What you need to do is you need to give yourself up and you need to hold God's hand. He's offering it. Maybe you just embrace him first and just lay like I was on the bleachers, just in peace, knowing that God is holding you. Walk with him back the other direction because we serve a God that is in constant pursuit of us. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful that we serve a God like you whose love we are so undeserving of. God, we can't ever understand how you love us as much as you do, why you constantly pursue us as we run away from you. That's nothing that makes sense to people like us, God, but we are grateful that we serve you who just does it anyway. And so God, we pray that you would give us your strength this morning, that you would give us your strength to, so that we can turn around and walk back with you in the direction that you would have us to go, to live in grace, to live in the peace, knowing that we are going to live in a perfect world one day and that everything will be okay. And no matter where we're at right now in life, no matter what we're going through, it will all be made well. Help us to live for that day. And I pray this through your son's name. Amen.